Amen, amen. Well, if you love the Lord, give him a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. Amen. If he's been a little bit good to you, just give him a tiny, tiny bit of praise. But if he's just been really, really good to you, give him a big praise tonight. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Ben. appreciate your help tonight. Uh, appreciate you traveling with me. And um, man, I sure love your pastors. You've got some of the greatest pastors on this planet. And uh, I was telling, I don't remember. It, it feels like I've been here forever. You know, it does. It really does. Oh, 2012 maybe, maybe right around that. I, think, I went to Israel in 2011, and I think it was the next year when I came back that we connected. And I was telling pastor just before service how much of a God connection that was and what a blessing you've been to us. And we so appreciate you, and we appreciate your pastors. So let's honor the gifts of this house. And just put your hands together and thank the Lord for Pastor Sandy and Pastor Amen. You guys are just the best. We love you and honor you. And uh, don't take lightly your gift. These are wonderful gifts from heaven. Amen. And so we love you and we honor you. Pastor asked me, I, I, I shared this with him and I shared it with uh, Mr. Boyd last night and was just uh, talking about how powerful that blessing of the Father was last night. That meant a lot to me. And uh, I grew up in a home, uh, I didn't grow up with a dad in the house. Uh, my, my father left before, uh, oh, I don't, there was never a time that I remember my dad being in our home. And so he left when I was just a baby. And because of that, I never had the influence of a father. And in my life, there are many times I thought, you know, if I would have had a dad, th this would have been different or that would have been different. And, um, and last night when, uh, when you were declaring that blessing over the house, I saw something in the spirit. First of all, I got a hold of it. That's, nobody's ever done that over my life before. So um, that meant a lot to me. Now, I know some of you may be, I don't know how often you do that. Pastor said from time to time you do that. But, uh, but to me, the first, I'm 45 years old, but Sister Karen, in 45 years, nobody's ever done that as a father over my life. So that meant a lot. So I appreciate you and you and honor you for that. But we also have to recognize there is a power in the blessing. And I was, uh, I was just sharing with Pastor a little bit, and I, I talk and preach so much on the prophetic. I understand the power of a word. Words are powerful things. And they're so powerful so that when uh, Isaac was blessing his children and he blessed the wrong kid, the Bible says that when uh, Esau came in and said, well, bless me, Father, and he says, I have nothing left to give. Do you understand those were words? He didn't sit down <laughs> and write about a check. These were words. See, in our culture, we have said, well, I'll just take those words back. Those did not mean anything. But he understood so much in the power of the blessing of a father that he said, I have nothing left to give you, but whatever I have left, I issue a blessing to you as well. And even though Jacob had taken this blessing in a, in a, in a wrong way, the, the blessing of the father was so powerful. So, so whenever... Um, uh, whenever you have that blessing of a father released over you, especially those of you that maybe you grew up like me without a father in the home or without a Christian dad, uh, and you never experienced that, it's very important. In my spirit, I saw things in my life that I'd ask God about, 
I see them kind of coming together in that moment. And the Lord's saying, this is a piece to the puzzle that you've kind of been missing. So maybe you feel like you've had a piece missing. Well, maybe you have. And that blessing of the Father will really make, a, make an impact on you. Amen. So, uh, so uh, man, we honor that. We thank you for that. We thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Okay, let me, uh, let me get into this word tonight. 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 8 here in just a moment. And tonight... It always comes back to the prophetic with me. I can never stray very far from that vein. In a Pentecost atmosphere and in a Pentecost conference, as I was seeking the Lord and, and praying, God, what should you have me do? I've been praying, and uh, before I ever go to a meeting, especially a series of meetings, I always spend time in prayer and in fasting, just asking God, God, what would you have me share with the people? And I couldn't get away from what I'm going to share with you now. Now, what I want to talk to you about today, it's not a brand new word. Um, God didn't give it to me specifically for today, but he specifically gave it to me for the church. You understand the difference? Uh, it's a word that I believe that is for the church right now and where God sends me and when he tells me to, I preach this very important prophetic message. So tonight I ask that you have ears to hear and hearts to understand. And uh, I want to show you something now. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't endeavor to be revelatory. I just want to be honest and open about the scriptures. But I believe tonight I might be able to share with you some things maybe you've not heard before simply because of the perspective that God's given me on this very popular passage of scripture. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 8 it says this, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shuman, where there was a great woman. If you have, your, uh, if you have a, a Bible that you write in, <coughs> if you're using your phone or a tablet, go ahead and highlight that word, a great woman. That's an important word in the passage. Not very many times in the Bible does God specify someone as great. In fact, when they would come to Jesus and they would call him great or they would call him good, he would oftentimes correct them and say there is none but the Father that is good, right? But uh, they have, this is where the Lord is um, declaring over this woman, she was a great woman. So as I meditated on this, I thought what made her great? What was it that separated her? What was it that made her stick out from everybody else in the Bible? <coughs> Excuse me. If we go back, we go back over just a few passages of scripture in chapter 4 verse 1 it says now there was a certain woman the bible does not identify her as great it identifies her as certain so what makes this certain woman different than this great woman well i believe i have the answer and we'll get into that in just a moment it says and she constrained him to eat bread and so it was as oft as he passed by he turned in thither to eat bread now the word of God says that uh, as often as the prophet came by, as often as the man of God came by, uh, she would compel him. I want you to come put your feet under my table and uh, I want your presence to be in my house. Very important. She made room for the prophetic. Simple as that. She said she recognized a prophetic anointing. There is something in her life that she needed. Now, I don't, I don't often tell this because I keep my message positive, but uh, sometimes you have people that just don't like you. Simple as that. Now, I know everybody here just loves me, right? I'm looking around, make sure everybody's nodding, so 
I'll be praying in a little bit, so I'm just kidding. We, um, but I was at a church here not long ago. In fact, it was an unscheduled meeting, and I, at, at the last call, they needed me to come in for a, they had something going on within the church. And during the altar time, there was this young man who for years followed our ministry, uh, followed us online, was a partner of ours, sold into us, um, just a good friend of our ministry, and they just fell off the map. And at the end of this service, uh, this this young man was there. And I went back. You know, I didn't know anything was wrong or anything like that, but I went back and was praying for him. And after the service, he came up to me and said, Brother Benny, he said, you know, there was somebody that came and talked to me about you and just ran you down and said, I believed what they said about you. And said, and because of that, I believe that I missed out on some things in my life that I needed to shift and asked for forgiveness and said, well, there's something inside your life that I need that the enemy's trying to keep me from. Uh, first of all, you know, I, it, it's unfortunate that we have people who run others down in the kingdom, right? You know, I don't do that. Now, there might be some things I disagree with in the kingdom, and I might share something secretly or in private with pastor about a concern, but I, I don't run people down. That's just not our way. Um, but that being said, you know, I forgive them, and I'm not, I'm not broken up over it or anything like that. Uh, if everybody loves every word that falls out of your mouth, you have a problem. <laughs> and so, so I said, uh, I said, yeah, I said, man, you know, I love you, and I want the best for you, and I'm believing for you. But what I recognized instantly was the enemy's desire to destroy the prophetic gifts within the church. You know, it is the mission of a Jezebel to come in and destroy the prophetic, to suppress the prophetic. We also have the spirit of Herod that will come in and try to stop the apostolic ministry within the church. There is a full-on assault on ministries just like this. The weight, of he- the weight, the heaviness of a prophetic ministry like this is so heavy that the enemy comes in and tries to do everything he can to distract, to stop, to tear down, to keep you from being everything God's called you to be. But what I, I believe my word for the river tonight is simply this, stay the course. Stay the course. Continue to do what God's called you to do. Continue to follow the vision. Continue to listen to the visionary of this house who has heard from God. And you will see the manifestation of God's glory and presence in this region and in this city. And I began to think to myself, I I, I was sitting over here tonight and I was meditating on you and your position in this city. And what I saw was I saw the culture of the city, the culture of the region. I won't go into the specifics of it, but I saw the culture of the region, and I saw a very small pin holding the glory together in the kingdom, and I believe that the pin that's holding it together is this house right here. Now, somebody said, I don't understand that weight. But see, that's why the enemy has fought you so hard. That's why the enemy has fought you physically. That's why you went through things as a child that you went through. Because the enemy tried to stop and destroy what God's doing in this season right here in this house before it ever began. The enemy, if he could have, he'd have stifled it before the doors of this house ever opened. But God has a remnant people. God has a hungry people. God has a people for such a time as this that's going to rise up and say you are not going to stop the miraculous work of God in our church, in our family, in our life, in our ministry, in our pastors, in my family. But the enemy, we have a real adversary and we have real people in the church with real problems. Can I be honest with you? We all like to come to church and feel good. 
We do. We like to hear a feel-good sermon. We like to get a good word. Um, and in today's culture, we are not changing people. We're simply giving them something nice that we've said to them. I love my children. Man, I have got this three-foot-tall little girl that spends about every weekend at my house that has me absolutely wrapped around her finger. She calls me Pop Pops. And on the occasion, Pops. She FaceTimed me this afternoon. Pop Pops, where you at? Are you coming? I'm at your house today, Pop Pops. What you doing? Say, well, I'm, I'm preaching in Texas. And she'll say, you're in Texas? Like she has any idea where that is. But uh, what I've learned is the more time I spend with her, the more I've found that I have to get firm with her. It's very difficult for me. Because she looks at me and when she does, I just kind of melt and my words get soft. But what I've recognized in order, in order for her to have the right relationship with myself, my wife, and her mom and dad, there are times I have to say things like, no. It's hard. Has God ever told you no? I'm, I want to write a book, Pastor, called What to Do When God Says No. Because sometimes he's saying no, and we think everything's a yes. We think we've got a green light on everything that we conjure up in our mind. And it's just not true. And you know what you do when God says no? You just keep going, doing what God has told you to do. And if he's told you no about something, just pass it by. If he wants you to do it, if you, if you feel like you've missed it, just keep it there on the shelf, and there'll come a day when maybe it'll be the right time. If not, then okay, just, keep, just pass it by. It's all right. But... We have to recognize if we always get that good, feel-good word, we will never mature. Why is it we are building the biggest churches society has ever built, but we have the smallest Christians? I would much rather have small churches than big Christians. We have, uh, I'm very critical of things within the church right now. I don't try to be, but I see so much of it. But why is it that we have a generation that love the crowds but hate the people? When we have a generation of, of ministry that it's become celebrity status rather than people who want to touch and minister to people and reach the lost. I don't need an entourage to follow me everywhere I go. I don't need anybody to carry my bags. I do most traveling by myself. The Bible says a prophet's life is a lonely life. Um, I will spend a month sometimes by myself. Last year I was gone for eight weeks away from home. I did not walk through the front door of my house for eight weeks. Uh, it was high school football season. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And during that time, I missed the entire football, high school football season. Did not get to go to one game. Didn't get a, not, not one time. And, uh, you know, somebody will say why you do that. Because I'm desperate to reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why we do this. Not because, you know, if, if, it, if, it, if it made you rich, then everybody would do it, right? But I'm, I'm not out to, you know, I want to be blessed just like anybody else. I'm not opposed to riches and blessings, but that's not why we do this. We do this because we love the Lord. Now, the Bible says that his blessings will follow us and overtake us. I get that, and I'm blessed. But I, I, just, I just want you to know that the reason that we do this is, is because we love the Lord and we want to be pleasing to him. And the Bible says, let me get, I went off track just for a minute, but the Bible says that there was a great woman, and the Bible says that she recognized the need for the prophetic in her life. 
The church needs the prophetic in the church. Can I, can I challenge you with this scripture? The Bible says God does nothing without first revealing it to the prophets. Do you hear those words? Nothing. Not a thing. The problem with the vision, the Bible says, well, there's no vision, the people perish, right? See, what God does, God will speak. And, I, and I'm, people will say, we will step in to the anointing of the prophet. I get that. There are people that can step into that anointing, but there is a difference from having the anointing of the prophet and having a prophet stand in God's place of authority and prophetically declare the word of God, which leads me right to what we talked to earlier, because pastor, I planned on interjecting this into our message what you did last night you took your rightful place as a spiritual authority over this house and those those words carried more power than anything I could say right now because it was your position of authority when you step into your position of authority, pastor, when you stand here as the pastor of this house, there is nobody on this planet that carries more weight or authority in their words than when you stand in your place of authority and you say, watch out. You say red light. You say slow down. You say go at it with everything you've got. There is nobody that carries more weight. But we have a generation that's more intrigued with what's going on on the internet or what's going on in other countries, nothing wrong with those things, but we have to recognize the need for the five-fold ministry that God has placed inside of us. And in a generation that has said we no longer need the prophet, we no longer need the apostle, and we no longer need the evangelist, God saying, I've got a woman over here who has great faith. She recognizes a need inside of the church that nobody else sees, and I declare I want, I just want that prophet to come into my house, pull his feet up to my table, and let me feed him. Think about that. Her decree was let me show kindness to God's servants. Now, once again, I, I, I'm very cautious in saying that statement because that separates a servant from God from everybody else. That's not my intention because we are all servants of God. But can I, let me just explain to you the role of the prophetic. Last night, and, and Pastor, I, I don't remember the name of the, the precious couple that was up here, but Pastor gets up and God's talking to me about them. They stand up and all of a sudden it's, it's just green lights in my spirit. And Pastor starts saying some things and I'm thinking, oh, I either need to leave or get up there as quick as I can before pastor might say something that would affect the prophetic word I have for them. Not that he would do anything wrong or I would do anything wrong, but I so respect the gift that God's placed inside of me. I want when I minister to somebody prophetically, it to be an organic thing that God has placed inside of me and flows out of me. And so in that moment, as God's talking to me and speaking to me, and so many times the reason a prophet's life is a lonely life, I've got to separate myself from people because of what I might find out. The prophetic gift has to stay separate, many times has to stay separate from other people simply because if we know too much. Now, I do tell, I, I say this all the time. As a pastor, you know, when I pastored, I didn't step out of my prophetic apostolic gifting but I flowed more in a pastoral gift but when when I did that I had to just challenge people you trust me when I don't know anything please continue to trust me when I know something and so that's the challenge of a pastor who has that prophetic unction is you have to trust me when I when I don't know anything but when I 
know something. Please continue to trust me. But for the sake of the gift, once again, it leads us to, a, but, but she recognized a need. This is important, a twofold need. She recognized a need within the church that says we need this gift in our lives. She also recognized the need of ministry to the prophetic ministry. Do you know how many hurting ministries we run into all over this country? I was, uh, you know, maybe those of you are familiar with our ministry, a traveling ministry, you know, the level of difficulty that's on this kind of ministry is just, it's overwhelming at times. I look at my life, I look at my calendar, I look at my year, and I have to close everything. I look at a budget, I just have to close it. And I, and I literally push it into the hands of God and say, God, I can't meditate on this because if I do, I'm going to worry because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. God just works it out. I don't know, you know, I hear these guys, they'll say, you know, we're booked up for months, and I've got a friend that I'm going to be ministering with this next week, and he's told me he's got a year, 18 months booked completely out, nothing open for 18 months, and God's never done that with me, never. We've always had to believe from week to week to week, always. When we stepped up into full-time evangelistic ministry, um, when we left our pastorate in March of 2015 and went full-time evangelistic ministry. I had two meetings planned for the whole year. Two. I had a men's conference in March, which was the month we stepped out, and then a meeting here in Texas in, in uh, November. That was it. And from, for somehow, God made it all work out. There is a need for the prophetic, but there is a need to show kindness ministry there's a need to show kindness to your pastor there's a need just to say I, I need to get your feet under a table let me buy you a meal let me be a major blessing to you let me do something for you and for your family and, I, and this is a little sidebar but uh, I know from experience many times, and man, you, you're a great church. You treat your pastors great, you know. That's not, I'm not saying that at all. But man, the pastor's wife sometimes has the roughest time of all of it. And that, that's just <laughs> simply because she carries the weight of being the helpmate to someone who has a vision and is focused. And then also trying to help with the church and do the things within the kingdom. I, you know, I, from experience, you know, from... From my wife's testimony, it's a very difficult job. The man, we honor you, we love you, but, but, but do what this woman did. It separated her from everyone else. See, the Bible says that Elijah went to this woman and he asked her for something. She was a certain woman, but this woman, she recognized the need. Nothing was asked of her. She went to them and it separated her from what I believe everybody else in the word of God. This opens up the door for five major miracles. Five major miracles are getting ready to happen because of one simple act of obedience. If I came to you tonight and I said one simple act of obedience would open up the door for a multi-million dollar business deal or open up the, the ability for your family to never have to worry about finances again, would you do that? Just one act. I don't care who you, absolutely you would. A friend of mine, uh, okay, uh, not a friend of mine. Uh, I, I was at his conference, my friend's conference. He brought in a young man who worked, used to work down in Orange, Texas at DuPont. 
and uh, is that is that is it Dupont that's there? I think that's right. But but he's got a uh, he had a painting business. He got a he got a contract with the military that was a million dollar contract with the military, and they were painting battleships. And so I mean, this very lucrative for them. I mean, they were they were blessed. They uh, they were but something started shifting, and he said, "I was laying in my bed." And I heard God whisper in my ear. Everybody is waiting for God to scream at them. Everybody is waiting for God to come showing up in front of them and give them a big picture and a big road map and, and an explosion. And Jesus did not even show up that way when he came to this earth. He showed up in a manger. He said in the nighttime, God whispered to me and he spoke one word to me. In the nighttime, he said, fabrication. He said, I laid there in my bed, and I sat up, and I said, God, I, I don't understand what it is that you're telling me. And he said, he said, fabrication. He said, I had some experience with fabrication in the past. I recognized things were shifting. He says, so because of a one whisper in the nighttime, he said, I went and I started changing my business from this painting business. Uh, we didn't do away with it. We just started shifting out of it. He showed me, he showed me the picture of his factory, their, their payroll is $500,000 a year, their payroll. They're, uh, they have a factory that's the size of this block, all because of one word. And it turned it into a multi-million dollar business because he heard one whisper, just one whisper. What if God spoke one whisper to you? Because you, you, you decided I'm gonna be obedient when God speaks to me, when God tells me to, this woman, God whispered in her ear, get his feet under your table. Simple as that, an act of kindness. And the Bible says that she was so compelled that she went a step further and said, I don't just want to feed him. I want to give him a place to stay. Husband, could we build a house on the side of our house? <clears throat> could we put a room in it? Could we put a bed in there, maybe a lamp, a little chair and a table? Could we do those things? And the husband said, yeah, let's do those things. And so she goes out there and she builds it. And from this day forward, she begins to compel him. Every time he comes to town, come to my table. Let me feed you. Let me take care of you. And I have built a room for you to stay in. Now she has recognized we don't just need the prophetic to come and visit our house. We need the prophetic to take residence in our house. We don't need these fly-by, fly-by-night relationships, one-night stand. What we need is somebody that will come in and prophetically declare over our house, over our nation, over our region. See, we have got to be a church. That's what I love about the river is you have a five-fold vision. You have a desire to have five-fold ministry activating within the church. And when you do, you've got a completion. You've got the full hand of God moving in your midst and then that that's when God can do miracles. Come and stay at my house. Come and let me feed you. Let me take care of you. And so, so here she is, and, and, and you can go through and you can read this whole story later. For this, if I read all of this, we'll be here literally all night. <laughs> so, let, so if you'll just indulge me for a moment and let me roll through the story with you and just share with you. But the Bible says that one day the prophet looks down at his servant and says, what does this woman want? Has she told you anything? And the servant says, no, no, master, not a thing. I, but I have noticed she does not have a child. Now, when you look at those words, she doesn't have a child, that is interpreted she is barren. 
She's barren. It doesn't use those words, but she is barren. Now, if you look at the biblical status of a person who is barren, there's one word that flashes above their heads, and that word is cursed. And people began to look at her and began to say, what did you do wrong? And they began to judge her because she was not producing anything. Very important to the culture of the church today. Very important to the culture of what we need to be doing as men and women of God and actively moving and operating in the church. She recognized, I cannot have birthing without a prophetic utterance over me. She recognized in order for me to conceive and give birth, there has to be a prophetic utterance over my life. Once again, I'm not excluding this to prophetic ministry. What you did last night was prophetic. What your pastor does is prophetic. When you have the gifts of the kingdom come in, these are prophetic. But what I want you to see is the need that God has created in the church for the prophetic. And yet many in the church have said there is no need for the prophetic ministry. There is no need for the fivefold. And this is what they say. We are afraid of wildfire and since they're afraid of wildfire or strange fire they end up with no fire but what we need is men and women of God that get in their prayer closet and have an ounce of discernment that can stand and say we don't perceive this as not being God to the contrary we see people being healed we see people being saved we see people being delivered because somebody has had the faith to stand and declare we need the fivefold ministry in the church. And she said, they said she's, she's barren. She has no children. And he said, okay, let me go to her. And so they go to her. And this, did you underline great woman of faith? Great woman. He goes to her and he says, this time next season, interpreted about this time next year, you are going to hold in your hands a child. And this great woman says what? Does anybody know what she says? Don't you lie to me. <laughs> great woman of faith, right? She's been promised what she's been believing for by a ministry that she believes in, and she instantly says, don't lie to me. Don't tell me that if you don't intend. I can't tell you how many people we've seen that were barren, that God has spoken prophetic words over them, and God's given them children. I believe in the power of a prophetic word. See, we've got to recognize we don't get the prophetic utterances so we can stand and say, I'm knowledgeable in the spirit realm. We get that so we can direct people to the Father, and we can say, God loves you so much that he gave me a word for you to speak over you, to declare over you that will encourage you, that will build you up that will increase your faith i was in coffeeville kansas just a couple of months ago and uh, i'd been there a month prior to and we had a lady who just just i was sharing with pastor had a, had a miraculous healing she had something wrong with her kidneys it was life-threatening that week she was on her way to uh, kansas city to have tests and god completely healed her when she got there for her test the doctors gave her a she went from uh, uh gonna die to having a clean bill of health. That's, that's the kind of God we serve, right? But, that, but they invited me back the next month and said, will you come back in for, a, for another Sunday and let's, let's uh, encourage the people, share this testimony and just see what God does. And so uh, we did, this was awesome, man. We did a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and a Sunday afternoon at 2. Man, it, was, it, was just, I don't, it just worked. So people who went to other churches came to the 2 o'clock meeting. It was just awesome. And man, this guy comes walking in, a big tall guy, 
I mean, you know, I, can I be honest? I didn't really like him. <laughs> just his approach, I didn't like the guy, you know. Just, just, you know I just didn't, you know. I, I love him, but I just didn't like his way. But, man, God instantly dropped him in my spirit. And so I'm up and, and I'm preaching at the end of the ministry. I went back to him and I said, the Lord told me to tell you that he loved you, got an awesome plan for you, and just began to minister to him. And I said, I see where you're connected to prison, prison ministry. And I said, and, but God's uh, getting ready to elevate you. And I see a seed, a cancer that was placed in you five years ago. Once you know that God's getting ready to uproot that out of your life tonight, just began to share with him. He just wept. He'd never had anybody speak prophetically over his life before. This has never happened to him. And he wept, and he, the people that brought him, he kept looking at them. And I didn't know why he was looking at them, but he came to me later. He said, did they talk to you about me? <laughs> I said, no, I don't even know these people. And he said, are you sure? So he went on to tell me, he said that five years ago he went to prison. And uh, he served a lot of time. He says, as he's come out now, he said that um, um, he's going back into the prisons and he's ministering to the same inmates that he once fought with. And he said, and now he's sharing the love of Jesus. He's seeing his life transformed. And, and he said, but preacher, he said, but I was diagnosed with cancer. And he said, and he, uh, there was another date. I don't remember the date. He said the other date, he said that um, my family was killed in a car accident. And uh, that night, God healed him both spiritually, physically, and emotionally because of a word. Because of a word. Now, you know, and people say, well, Brother Benny, I can't do what you do. Well, first of all, you can pray and ask God to speak to you about, about people and for people. You can do that. Every one of you can do that. We, uh, and this is so important. We don't have this hierarchy of ministry. I think for a long time, maybe we did. We had a hierarchy of ministry pastor that said only we can do this. And if you need this, you need to come to me. But what I believe God's doing in this house is he's building an army of elite forces. And he's going to teach you and show you how to utter prophetically. And you're going to go out here on the streets of this city and God's going to give you a word for somebody. And you're going to see the same results out here on the streets of the city, out in front of Denny's, out in front of the, the out here in this parking lot, out in front of the bars. God's going to tell you to go to some hard places, but God's going to give you a word and you're, they're going to be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. See, your words have power. And see, the more you step out, I can remember the first couple times I stepped out prophetically. I, I, was, I, was, I stepped out prophetically, and there was this group of young people in the back of our church. And uh, the Lord told me to go back there and pray for them. And I went back there, and sisters, I started praying. They laughed at me. <laughs> I was a young minister. I was embarrassed. I was mad. I thought, well, fine, you know. And I went back up front and just started praying for other people. It was my service. I was the evangelist. And I was mad. <laughs> oh, don't judge me. <laughs> But I want you to know those girls fell under the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and within five minutes they were in the altars on their face before God weeping and repenting and gave their hearts to Jesus. See, that's what God wants us to do. That's why we have a prophetic gift. And so the Bible says he went to her and he said, this time next season, you're going to hold a baby in your arms. Don't you lie to me. Great woman of faith, don't lie to me. And I, I don't know how it played out next. I don't know what you do after that. I'm not lying to you, lady. You know me. Is that how that went down? God wouldn't lie to you. 
You know, but I love your pastor's approach on stuff. Listen, pastor, he is up here on that guitar. I mean, just so mellow, and he is shredding the thing. I'm like, I'm nudging Ben at least on these tearing that guitar. He's just doing it with this this kind of cool way, you know. <laughs> so I can't just see. I can see pastor. He'd have this cool way. God said this time next season, just kind of walking off, you know, right? I, I don't know what happened next, but I know this time next season, God gave her a miracle. She held a baby in her arms. That was a child of promise. Have you had something that you believed so hard for? You waited, you cried over, you wept over, you pleaded God over, and then all of a sudden, there it is, it's in your arms. I, I, I know you're working on a specific degree. I, the, 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 uh, the, the effect that it has on you and your family, but there'll come a day when you'll stand victoriously holding it in your hand, declaring, God made a way for me even when it was hard. See, and it's going to mean something, and it will mean something all the more when you have fought, when you have stood, when everybody said it's time to give up, when everything, everybody told her you're barren, just accepted and moved on, but there was something inside of her that said, if I can honor, if I can honor the prophetic ministry, if I can get a hold of the horns of the altar, if I can pray and fast and seek God, if I can go to conference in faith, believing for a miracle in my life, in my ministry, in my family, then I know that I'll see God move for me. And the next season, that, that next year, she held that baby in her arms. Can you imagine how protective she was over that miracle? When you work for something, when you believe for something, you protect it. We protect our anointings. I'm careful who I allow in my life. I'm, care I'm careful who I travel with. Careful who I preach for. I'm careful who I associate myself with. Because I respect and I honor the ministry God's given me. I can see her as she goes out to the to the marketplace. Can't you see her? Got that little boy by his hand walking him around. This is my miracle. Excuse me, have you met my miracle? Have you met? This is my miracle right here. This is it. I've been praying. Uh, tears streaming down her face when she thinks about it. This right here is my miracle. Oh, here she comes with her miracle again. If I hear about that miracle one more time, I'm going to throw up right here in front of everybody. I'm sick of it. <laughs> And that, and that's how people ought to feel. They ought to hear it so much until it's so ingrained of them. A friend of mine went to Oral Roberts University years ago, and they said the one thing they got so sick of hearing Oral Roberts talk about miracles they couldn't see straight. Friend, we need to be a generation that have so many miracles that we can talk about that people get sick of hearing about them. I'll tell you what's going to happen. They might be sick of hearing about them, but when they need one, they'll know who to go to. Nobody help me tonight. Maybe you're tired of hearing about the miraculous. Man, I, I talk a lot about testimonies. I talk a lot about the good things I've seen God done. I still get amazed when blinded eyes are open. Still get amazed when people get up out of wheelchairs. I was just two weeks ago, I was back at a church where last year, a, a, a lady who was blind, God opened up her eyes. That lady come walking down the aisle. She comes walking up to me. and She said, Brother Biddy, I can still see. <laughs> a year later, and she said, I can still see. <laughs> I wasn't surprised a bit because <laughs> I know when God does it, he does it right, right? Here she, come, here she comes with that miracle. Here she comes. I can, I can hear the dad. Man, you got to get that kid off your apron strings, mama. Man, he's, 
<laughs> Can we say sissy? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> he don't act right these days. Let that boy get out there in that field and let him roam around. Let him, let him become a man. Can't you hear it? Can't you hear it? Get that. He, he's playing with, with, with cars while she's doing dishes. I mean, she's not. it's her miracle. She is taking care of what God's trusted her with. I can see the dad is that boy, you know, starts getting a little bit over 13, 14 years old. I can see dad walk in tomorrow. He's going out the field with me. No, baby, he's not ready. Yes, he is. I want that boy up at 6 o'clock. I want him out there in that truck, and me and him are going to the field together. Pack him a lunch. Can't you hear it? That's family, right? And I can see that mom as she loaded that boy up. Baby, you'll be okay. Yeah, mom, I'll be fine. I'm ready for this. He's excited, right? So he gets out there. They're working the field. Can't you see him out there binding up those stocks? See, this was, now, this is important. This was a wealthy family. This was a blessed family. They, 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 they were barren in the fact they couldn't produce children, but they were blessed. They're building houses. They are sowing. They are reaping. They're feeding folks. This is a blessed family. That's why God wants you blessed, so you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. We, we get so narrow-minded, and, and we, we get convinced, I just want enough to get by. I just want enough to pay my bills. Shame on you. We need to be so blessed Pastor, I want to be so blessed that I can come in and say, it is my dream to be so blessed. I can walk through those doors and I can say, Pastor, what do you need this year? What do you need? And if he says it's a building, I can write a check for it. Oh, come on, somebody. That's why God wants you blessed. Now, I don't need my name on it. Listen, when I do that, Pastor, I don't need the Baker Wing. <laughs> I don't need the Baker Kitchen, you know. Okay, maybe put a little plaque something. No, I'm just kidding. I don't need that. I just want to be a blessing to the kingdom. I'd love to come in and say, Pastor, where are we out on the budget this week? We had one lady at our church, Pastor, every time we had a conference, she would walk up to me at the end of the conference and said, where are you at on your budget? Every time. And I'd say, oh, we made budget. And then she would hand me a significant offering. And, I, and, I, and, I, and she'd say, now, are you sure? And I'd say, yeah, you know, we're really sure. And she'd come to me and she'd say, where are we out on the budget? And I was like, uh. <laughs> she said, I, I need to know where are we at. And I said, well, we're short, you know, such and such. And she would write a check for it every time plus. That's why God wants us blessed. That's why God wants you blessed so, so, so there is no need amongst us. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, I hear the different ministries going on in the church. How awesome would that be for one person just to be able to come in and say, listen, I just want to be a blessing to you. Let me fund that ministry. Oh, man, that just, thank you, Lord. That just reminded me. I have a, we have a partner up in northwest Arkansas. They have a precious ministry. Their daughter overdosed on drugs years ago, and they have a home for women that's named after that. They have a significant budget. They, I think they got four or five women at any time. If we're within an hour, they always come, and they bring all those girls, and they, we, and they always want me to prophesy over every one of them. <laughs> It's, it's, it's precious, precious, precious. They were in service with me the same day the lady got, got her uh, kidneys healed. The Lord spoke to me and said, tell, tell her that God's going to fund her ministry for the next year. I had no idea that it was a six-figure amount that they needed. No idea. And uh, I said, the Lord said that he's going to fund your ministry for the next year. And uh, what I did not know, she came and she testified. She said, Brother Benny, what you don't know is we were about $80,000 short on our budget for the year. And I was going to close things down. Think of this. Real people, real problems. And she said, but a lady walked up to me 
and said, I want to write you a check. I want to fund your ministry for the next year. And wrote him an $80,000 check. Come on, somebody. If God can do that for them, God can do that for, for you or for your ministry, whatever you're believing God for. And so, can't you see her as, now take good care of my baby. Mama, I'm ready. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to work in that field. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good. I'm going to make you proud and daddy proud. But about 10 o'clock, when that son started beating down, can't you see that boy as he takes his little hanky out of his pocket, he wipes his head. This might be a little more than what I was expecting. And he started getting nauseous at his stomach. He probably began to get sick. And then the Bible says he grabbed his head and cried out, my head, my head. Pastor, I don't know if at that moment he died or if he just passed out. But I know between the field and the prophet's bedroom, life left his body and her miracle died. Have you ever had a miracle die? Have you ever had something you've been believing for did not work out like you think it should? Here a few years ago, it was 2013, we had went and uh, we had this young man in our church named Ricardo. He had what we called the mother house. He had, a na- he had every neighborhood cook kid at 4 o'clock in the afternoon was going to be at Ricardo's house playing video games. And he'd, get there, he'd play with them, have fun with them, and, and he would go in and he'd tell jokes, and, but he'd share the love of Jesus with them. And so I went to Ricardo and I said, Ricardo, I, I, I've been thinking of ways to reach people outside the box. Could we have a crusade in your front yard? That sounds crazy. But he said, what do you mean? I said, this is what we're going to do. He has this little bit. I'm telling you, his front yard is good grief. Maybe the size from the microwave over squared off to the front of the building. There'll be tiny front yard. He said, we don't have any room, but there's a gas station next door that's got a big empty lot. I said, this is what we can do. I said, we can put the grill and everything in your yard and maybe just set the tent up over in that little gas station yard and maybe they'll let us do that and, you know, and, and we'll, we'll have a crusade out there. And he says, well, how are we going to let people know? I said, we're going to go out. We're going to fly out of the neighborhood. And we are going to witness to people. And we are going to win souls. And we are going to bombard your neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm in. So, man, we went out there. We, 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 got, a, we, we got together 500 flyers. So I don't know how many blocks we did, but whatever it was, we mapped out. A, we had all the houses and knew everybody. So we, we went to 500 houses. And we put flyers on the door. And we won souls along the way. So if we had somebody outside, we'd stop. And we'd share the love of Jesus with them. And we'd win souls and invite them to the event. Hey, we're having a block party over here. And right by the come and go. And you, you ought to come. And so, you know, we really, I mean, we really did our part. And so uh, on Thursday night, we had Bible college at the church. Ricardo was one of my Bible college students. Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock is our event. So we've been flyering, we've been praying, we've been having prayer meetings at his house. I mean, we're, we're, really, we're ready for this thing. And about 7 o'clock on Thursday evening, I get a call from Ricardo, and he's, he's panicking. And I said, man, what's going on? And he said, Pastor Baker, you, I need you to come right now. I said, man, what's going on? He says, there's been a shooting in front of my house, and I need you to come now. And so I get in my car, and I, I call, and... His son works at the come and go that we're going to use the little parking lot in. And uh, there were two teenage boys out in front of, the, out in front of the, the come and go, got into a fight. One of them on a bicycle. The one on the bicycle pulls out a gun 
and shoots and kills the boy standing in the lot. And he, pastor, he falls dead in the spot. We're getting ready to hold a crusade. That's, I've never even heard of anything like that. I hear mass crusades all over the world. They don't fight that kind of stuff. We're trying to hold a crusade in a man's front yard to change a city for Jesus. And man, the, obs, the, the things we fought that week. And so, man, I get there, and when I get there, there's a crowd. Ricardo, they got Ricardo's house all taped off. Ricardo Jr. witnessed the whole thing. He's in there. He's giving his uh, police report. He is shook up. They got two, three little girls. The three little girls are out crying. It's a mess. And then the boy's mom shows up, does not know her son is dead. And she's screaming, where's my boy? I mean, it's just chaos. And so I'm standing there, and the thought occurs to me, we probably should cancel our crusade. And so I prayed on it. Pastor Scott, man, I, I don't think, you know, 20 minutes went past. I started getting phone calls from leaders in the church. Pastor, what are we going to do? We heard what's going on. What, 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 what are we supposed to do here? You know, is everybody okay? And, and so uh, I went and I had a meeting the next day at the church. We got everybody together. And I said, guys, I said, uh, I know that there's a lot of talk about what we should or shouldn't do here. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't think of a better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with a hurting community. I said, so we're going to hold this event. And people said, well, what if they shoot at us? And I said, then God will put angels in front of us to protect us. But God's going to take care of us. And I, and I told him, I said, listen, if, if you're afraid for safety, don't send your kids. Don't come. Now, I understand. It was a rough neighborhood. We, didn't, we did not go into the upper crust. We went into the places that were hard because that's where they needed us the most. And so uh, we went. Man, we... We went out there, we put some big old speakers out there and put some Christian music blaring it. I mean, we turned that neighborhood upside down for Jesus. I'm telling you, we did. Two o'clock, the event started. By 1.45, we had 200 people lined up around the block in line to get a hot dog, <laughs> bag of chips, and a little bottle of water. We went through, we had a hula hoop contest, we... We gave away little gas cards, and I mean, we probably had a few hundred dollars. We got, I think we gave away an iPod that day. Somebody donated an iPod. Man, we, we, uh, we, had, a, man, we had an awesome time. Eighty-five people gave their heart to Jesus. In a crusade in America, in a neighbor's front yard, 85 people gave their heart to Jesus. We didn't preach a long message. I stood up. I gave a gospel message. Ricardo shared his testimony. Another young lady in the church shared her testimony. I mean, we probably preached a total of 20 minutes, everybody, and it really wasn't preaching. It was just talking to the people about Jesus. During that meeting, the family of those kids showed up. And I stood and I was able to prophetically declare over them. I know you might feel like you're going through the hardest season of your life. But God is still the God of this city. And he is still large and in charge and in control. And I know you might be devastated right now. But God is going to turn this around for his good. And we got the opportunity to minister to that family that was hurting. What do you do when your miracle dies? You hold on. You hold on. You keep going. You keep fighting. You keep pursuing. And the Bible says the word got back to the prophet. She walks up to the prophet and she says, excuse me, man of God, but my miracle is dead. What are you going to do about it? 
Now, I am led to believe from the passage of Scripture he would have just simply sent Gehazi, who would have ran ahead of him, which he did, and just that would have been enough. But he made a decision. He said, I'll go myself. And he walked into the room where they had built, where they had made room for the prophet. Very important. They made room for the prophetic ministry because they knew they would need it someday. And so he walked into the room. There that baby lay dead on that bed. He walked over to a very important passage of Scripture right here. Verse, uh, verse, verse, I believe it's 34. Verse 34. It says, the child laid on the bed. The prophet walked over to him. And it says he laid eye to eye with him. I've never seen this before myself, Pastor. But, but uh, I thought, God, why eye to eye? God says, because I'm going to give you insight and let you see things you've never seen before. And then the Bible says mouth to mouth. And I thought, God, why mouth to mouth? In the same vein, God says, because I'm going to let you utter things nobody else has been able to utter. And then hand to hand, and God says, I'm going to let you get a hold of things that you've only dreamed that you'd be getting a hold of. And the Bible says, and all of a sudden, the baby that had died, the miracle that everybody gave up on, all of a sudden sat up in the bed and said, Mama, can you bring me some biscuits and gravy because I'm hungry? And her miracle lived again. Friend, don't give up. Nothing can stop the vision of this house. Nothing can stop the miraculous power of God that's moving through you and through the kingdom of God's. That's a great story. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. But it did not end right there. That is not the end of the lady who was considered great in the Bible. If we just flip over a few pages to chapter 8, the Bible says that there is a great famine that's in the land. And the prophet is walking through the region. And he goes walking by. He comes walking by River of Life. And he says, Pastor Scott, just want you to know there's going to be a famine in the land, but you don't got to participate. That's what he did. He went walking by the woman's house and said, excuse me, there's about to be a terrible downfall in the economy, but you don't have to participate. There's about to be a major flood in your neighborhood, but your house is going to be safe. That's what he did. He walked by and he said, there's about to be a catastrophic seven-year famine, but I want you to pack up everything that belongs to you, grab your husband and grab your miracle child, and I want you to take a vacation. So I want you don't have to participate. So many of us, when we hear the economy goes the wrong way, we hear trouble is coming. We begin to think, what am I going to do? Because how will I ever get out of this? But God's saying, I'm going to give you prophetic insight to the seasons. We need to be like the children of Issachar and rise up and we discern the season and the times. And when trouble comes, we stand and say, I knew it was coming. And God made a way for me. And so the Bible says that her and her family, they sojourned. Sojourned. They took a trip. And they did not experience the famine. Think about that. A nation's experience in a family. But this family is safe. Great story. That's a great miracle. But we're not done yet. Seven years later, the famine's over. I don't know where they went, but I know that they were protected and blessed while they were gone. Seven years later, they're walking home. And the mama looks at her husband and says, you know, it, it was the custom of the day. If we go all the way back to Joseph, what they would do is the government would come in and seize kind of everything. And the government would take the land and would take uh, the proceeds from the land during the time of famine to kind of help everybody. It came in and became like a, 
big socialistic uh, uh, system that they used during the time of famine to take care of everybody. And so she said, I'm going to go and I'm going to plead my case for my land because I've not been there and maybe they'll give us our land back. And so the Bible says that this woman's, chapter 8, you can go read this later. The, the woman goes walking down the road and she comes walking into the court of the king. And guess who is talking to the king at that very moment? Gehazi. And he says, there was this woman who was barren and could not have a child. And the prophet, and all of a sudden the door opens to the back of the building. And she comes walking down the aisle. And Gehazi stops and says, there's the woman. And the king compels her, talking about being at the right place at the right time. And the king compels her, come and tell me your story. Oh, it's true, oh king. I thought that boy was gone, but boy, the power of God touched him, saved him, and raised him up. And the king looked at her and said, what can I do for you? One act of obedience. One prophetic encounter changed everything. And she said, I'd like to have my land back. Miracle number four, she got her land back. He looked at her and said, sis, I'm not just giving you your land back. What I would like to do is he, he, he ushered away some servants. He said, I would like you to go get the seven years of harvest that we took off of your land while you were gone, and we want you to come and lay it at her feet. And all of a sudden, the seven years of harvest that she lost while she was away at Disneyland while everybody else was suffering famine, came and laid it at the feet of the woman and declared not only did she get her land back, but she got a harvest back that went back seven years. I believe God wants us to know right now you may have been through a tough season. You may have suffered some great loss, but God is getting ready to cause the enemy to bring it back and lay it at your feet. You've lost some people. You've lost some relationships. You've lost some money, but God is getting ready to bring it back to you. Come on, Holy Ghost. Tomorrow I'm going to be in uh, Sydney, Ohio. And I was, I was some pastor. I, I, I kind of, I, I feel like I messed up, but I feel like I'm at the right time. So we literally, we got to drive 14 hours and 6 o'clock tomorrow night, we got to be in Sydney, Ohio. That's okay. You know, this is what, what we do. One night I was in, uh, was I at? Rhode Island, New York, just outside of New York City. I had to be in Des Moines the next day by 6 o'clock. That was a fun trip. You know, we drove just, we just drove. Somebody said, why didn't you fly? Well, if I could have got a flight, we would have, but that, we couldn't find anything that worked out. But anyway, so what connected me to this pastor was we were up in Wisconsin ministering, and God spoke to me and, and, and just shared one word with him. I said, you know, you've been robbed from, but God's going God's to bring restoration back to your life, everything that you've been robbed of. After the service, they come up. They had a multi-million dollar business. And uh, in one year, they, they were, there was a business deal that went south, and they lost a million-dollar business deal. But God gave them one word. God's going to restore everything that the enemy has taken. People will say, Brother Benny, I've never gotten a word like that. Well, this Bible is full of them. Grab your one. Hold on to it. I appreciate the person's specific words that God gives me. I appreciate it. I, I, I love that. I, that's, that's my vein. That's where I'm comfortable at. You know, I know right here, that's, this, I don't, I'm, please hear my heart. It's popular. You know what I mean? Your, your understanding of it. But I go to some places, when you go to do that, they set you down. 
They don't want that in the church. But once again, there is a house, this house, who recognizes the need in the body for the prophetic ministry. And what this church is saying is, if we will make room for it. Now, uh, Pastor, can I get out from behind the pulpit? Is that okay? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done preaching. I just want to be in order. You know, I, I went to this one church, and uh, I, I, the people were down here, and they had me up on a platform that was like six, eight foot high. And I was like, can I come down and preach down there? And like, no, you got to preach up there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's okay, you know, but. But this is what, the, this is what I want to share. This is for you. This is for this church. Hear me. They made room for the prophetic ministry. That prophetic ministry, God released something into them that changed their life forever. You have made room for revival. You've built a room. You've fed it. You've nurtured it. You've taken care of it. And because you've made room for it, you've got a promise from heaven. Since you made room for it, God is going to bring it to pass. Don't get weary. When you feel like it's died coming into this year, I, I'll be honest. In a, if you look at America right now, if you go to churches, it, it will look like revival has died. Really. You might go to some churches where there's a lot of excitement and some things happening. But if, if you really go around, it'll look like there, we go to churches. It doesn't matter if there's 50 people, 5 people, or I go to churches where you can't see the back of the building from the pulpit. Or I can't. <laughs> but, uh, in the midst of all of that, if you look at the culture of the church, revival is just, it's just not present anymore. And there's not people pursuing it. Nobody's going after it. Coming into this year, I, I've, we've adjusted our ministry. I mean, we've adjusted everything that we do. The way we travel, our seasons, it's all built around where the church is right now. And that's not wrong. We just adjusted. It's okay. I'm not mad. But I know we have a promise that God's going to cause it to rain again. And this rain will be greater than every other rain that we've ever had. In fact, it will be such a great rain that this rain will be as big as the former and the present rain all put together. So when we get a hold of this move of God, it will make every move of God. I love what God did at Azuzu Street, but what God does next is going to make that look like a picnic. I love what God did in Brownsville. But what God is getting ready to do with this generation, God is...